trying our best here uh, to pastor this church in this time. And when I say trying our best, it's, it's not trying our best to please you. Um, it's trying our best through you to please God and, and really to, um, to get God's heart with everything that we do. So again, I, I, I want this to be a place because I believe this is the age of the church right now. Um, and, and, and if we can literally sing this last song and not let that just be a song, but that a song like that define who we are and what we're about, of just giving ourselves away, um, we're, we're, we're going to be a force uh, in our world. But that requires that this place is a refuge, a refuge, um, not a place where we judge each other, not a place where we dishonor each other, a place where we believe the best about each other, a place of grace. Um, so with that being said, we are going to step into what I think is a pretty amazing chapter in the Bible as we continue this series looking at the Holy Spirit. It's also a pretty controversial chapter as well. <laughs> uh, so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to try to get out of my sermon the teaching a little bit earlier than possible so we can devote some time to Q&A. We don't do that too often, but I think uh, a monologue can only do so much sometimes. Sometimes there needs to be dialogue. And so uh, we'll have some dialogue at the end of the service sermon. Um, the questions that I want you to ask, I don't want you to ask questions about wearing masks or uh, social distancing. Let's save that for a later time. Uh, ask questions pertaining either to, to today's teaching or to anything that we've um, been studying as we've looked at the Holy Spirit. Okay, what text are we turning to? By the way, the way you do this is you get your phone out, not to look at the news. <laughs> you don't need to be depressed. Um, and you can text 31996 and text CBC, which stands for Crossroads Bible Church, to that number. Okay, our text for today is 1 Corinthians 12. Let's turn there. You guys sit for my words, but for the words of God, we like to stand. So if that's something you can do, let's do that. First Corinthians 12, now about the spiritual gifts. More better yet, now about your spiritual life in God. Brothers, sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working or service, but the same God who empowers all of them and all people. Now to each one is the manifestation of the Spirit given for the common good. To one there is given to the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge 
by means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of the tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. The body is a unit. And here Paul is going to use this metaphor of the human body, which is pretty, pretty profound. And the rest of the chapter is about this, but I'll just get us in this a little bit. The body is a unit, through a, though it is made up of many parts, and through all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. This is God's word. You can be seated. So those of you who are my age or maybe older or maybe a little bit younger remember how spiritual gifts, this whole theme, this topic, was kind of the craze 20 years ago. Everyone wanted to know their gift. Every, everyone became obsessed with, 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 with what their gift was. There were task questionnaires that people could fill out that would determine one's gift. There were huge descriptions uh, written up about each gift and, and the gift's importance. And I was thinking to myself, why aren't we doing any of this anymore? And then reason kind of came riding in like a horse. We have the Enneagram. <laughs> and seriously, you guys, um, much like what the Enneagram is today, instead of saying I am a four with a five wing, and I'm not a four, trust me. <laughs> It was, my gift is prophecy combined with helps. Now listen, all of this does make me wonder, what's behind this? Because there is a little bit of an obsession. And my simple answer to this is we live in a postmodern world where everything has become subjective and relative, including our own self-understanding, and therefore, meaningless and confusing. I mean, the postmodern condition, I think, is best ex expressed by this millennial who said this, I belong to the blank generation. I have no beliefs. I belong to no community, tradition, or anything like that. I'm lost in this vast, vast world. I belong nowhere. I have absolutely no identity. Think about that statement. Because it sums up how so many people feel today in our postmodern world. Lost in this vast, vast world. I have absolutely no identity. And see, we can't live meaningful lives without knowing who we are, why we're here. And therefore, I think this is why we have this obsession with spiritual gifts and things like the Enneagram, we need to know who we are. 
Our text today is not about spiritual gifts as much as the title of my over 1 Corinthians 12 says, spiritual gifts. Because the word gift is not even in the original language of this text or, or, or the, the equivalent of the word gift is, is, is not in the original language. Um, the gift is something that we have imposed upon the text that we have misconstrued as talent, which then causes us to wonder what is my spiritual talent and what is your spiritual talent. And then we compare talents just like we do in sports, GPA, net worth. And it soon turns into this gross competitive thing. And this is exactly what Paul is dealing with. Now in verse 1 when it says, now about spiritual gifts. The word for spiritual gifts there is the Greek word pneumatikos. You can hear the word pneuma in there. Pneuma means spirit. Pneumatikos is not spiritual gift. Pneumatikos is the life, the life that we have in the spirit. It's God in us. Pneumatikos is this tangible expression of God's presence, God's power that's being worked into us and through us for a specific purpose. And I don't know what this thought even does to you. I don't know how you're reacting to it, but we should all be pretty blown away. It is a stunning thing to think about, this reality, because this is what was lost in Eden. This was what was so made manifest in Jesus Christ. It, he now lives in us. God in us, the life of God, the power of God, God's spirit, the spirit of Christ, or as Paul likes to put it, Christ in us, the hope of glory. This is pneumatikos. And Paul is saying, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. This amazing reality of your new life in God in God's life in us. And it's all for a massive purpose. Massive. That's why in my Bible, in verse 1, I circled spiritual gifts. And then in verse 3, I circled Jesus is Lord. Because the very purpose of the, the pneumatikos, God breathing his spirit, his power, his life into us, it's so that we would declare Jesus as Lord, that our lives would attest to Christ's lordship, that together we would put Christ on display as Lord for the world to see. This is very similar to what Jesus says to his disciples before he sends them out. In Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus says, but you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses, you shall witness to me. That's why the power of the Spirit comes upon us, so we can bear witness to Jesus Christ. Now this spirituality, for lack of a better word, that these Corinthians, Corinthian Christians have been in, invited into is very different than the spirituality that they had before Christ. Because remember, he's writing to primarily Greeks and Romans... Um, in verse 2, he, he says, remember when you were pagans. I love how Paul just like, remember how you were pagans. Just calls them pagans um, in their former life. Well, pagan Greeks and Romans were highly spiritual. They had their whole pantheon of gods. 
Each God had its own form of spirituality. For one God, spirituality might be prayer and piety. For another God, it was speaking in tongues. For another God, it was having sex with one of the temple prostitutes. For another God, it was getting drunk. For another God, it was offering a sacrifice. In other words, it was this arbitrary, at times conflicting, and highly chaotic expression. And that's why Paul, even in Corinthians, has, he has to address all these things. Because it's all spilled into the Corinthian church. They're bringing their culture, they're bringing their past to bear upon their new life in God, and it's bringing chaos, conflict, competitiveness, and division. And Paul has to tell them, that's not of God. That's not God's spirit living in you. That's just your pagan past. That's your your pagan Corinthian culture. So that's why in verses 4 to 7, look at what Paul says. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings or, or, or ministries, but the same God who works all of them in all of you. So he says, same Spirit, same Lord or Christ, same God or Father. What did he just lay out? Trinity. And think about the Trinity. The Trinity is this wonderful diversity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit where each is a unique person with a distinct person. But yet within this diversity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's not an ounce of division or competition or conflict because each is so harmoniously bound to the other. So selflessly unified to the other that we can say three distinct persons, yet one God. And later Paul will say, as as we read at the end, he says we've been baptized into this, this trinity, this harmonious oneness. And that's why Paul says in verses 4, 5, and 6, he says like the trinity, you know, there's a diversity of gifts here. In fact, in the original language, every time gift is used in 1 Corinthians 12, it's the Greek word charisma. And and charisma is a Greek word that has made it into our our English. Um, Charisma, the root of charisma is charis. Uh, Charis means grace. So charisma, Paul says, is something that's given to us by the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we manufacture ourselves. And charisma is this dynamic expression of grace that flows uniquely out of each of us. It's unique to each of us. But he says, within all that diversity, same spirit. Then he says in verse 5, there's a diversity of service. Diverse ways in which people love, serve, bless, wash each other's feet but the same Jesus. Verse six, he says there's a diversity of activity. In fact, that word activity is another word that's made it into our English. It's the Greek word energy. (laughs) And Paul says all that energy that's getting worked in us, that's not our energy. He says that's the God who empowers, who energizes us for the work, but it's the same God. So just think about this. I really want this to be an amazing thought to you. 
That when we trust Jesus Christ, that when we declare him to be Lord, that when we surrender him to him in our lives, that a Pentecost occurs within us. A Pentecost. That God, by his spirit, comes and makes his home in us. And this is the pneumaticos that Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. It's our new life in God. It's God's life in us. It's his power. It's his presence. And because God not only wants to live in us, but God wants to live through us, he gifts us. He empowers us. He energizes us. Paul talks about this at the, at the end of Colossians when he talks about, how, about his own gift of, of, of proclaiming Christ through teaching and exhortation. He says, this, this energy works so powerfully in me. And he says, that energy isn't my own. It's the energy of God's spirit. So Paul gives us a list of what these gifts these charisma are in verses 8 to 10. He continues the list in verse 27. This list is not exhaustive. There are other lists in the New Testament. Ephesians 4 provides a list, Romans 12. In fact, they're all up here for you to just cast your eyes upon. Of course, in this short amount of time, I can't go through each gift. I pretty much just want to whet your appetite. Enough for you to be able to look at this and say, what is my gift? Am I using my gift? How am I using my gift? Because whatever the gift is, or whatever the service is, Paul says you didn't choose it. The Spirit is the one who gives it to us. The Spirit is the one who comes in us and, 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 and almost appoints us, calls us, knights us. What is yours? And this is why we can call the, the, the charisma a, a gift because it's a spirit-given thing. Also, Paul wants us to know this. Whatever the gift is or gifts, it's not given for you. It's given to you for us. Verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what purpose? For the common good. In Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, Paul talking about the gifts there, he concludes it by saying, and these have been giving, given for the building up of the body. They are not given to build you up. They're given so that you, by using your gift, can build the body up. Now here's where the Corinthian church went so wrong. Because there were certain gifts that the Corinthians prized that they made to be superior to other gifts. And then they also exalted the people who had those prized gifts. They put them on a pedestal and pretty much said, there's your super Christians. And again, this is the culture of Corinth coming to bear upon the church. Because not only was, was Corinth in the first century a highly individualized culture where each person was seeking to make it to the top and to be the best, 
Corinth is also the LA of the Roman Empire, and every Greco-Roman city had its patron god, which was seen to be the god of that city that guarded the city, that protected the city, that held the allegiance of that city. And the patron god of Corinth is the Greco-Roman god Apollo. In fact, when you go to Corinth today, all that is still standing uh, is this temple, which was right in the heart of the city of Corinth, the leftovers of the, the temple to Apollo. Um, it, it'd be kind of like maybe 2,000 years ago if someone could go to what would be New York City and there wouldn't be much there except for the Statue of Liberty's hand kind of coming halfway out of the ground. Um, that's that's kind of what we have left of Corinth. Now, who is Apollo? Apollo is the most Greek of all the gods. Apollo is stunningly beautiful, handsome, majestic, powerful. Apollo is the god of music. He's the originator of the stringed instrument. Apollo is the god of healing. In fact, Apollo's son is Asclepius, who also became the god of medicine. Apollo is also the god of prophecy and revelation. In fact, Corinth is the last stop on your way to a Greek city called Delphi or Delphi. And Delphi, uh, for almost a thousand years during this time period, was the world Vatican for the worship of Apollo, the world center. So what Jerusalem is to the Jewish world, Delphi is to the Greco-Roman world. It's the place in their minds where heaven and earth meet. It's the place where people would travel hundreds of miles just to get an oracle, a word, a revelation from Apollo. Should I marry this person? Should I buy this piece of property? Even emperors like Alexander the Great and, and, and Nero came to Delphi, uh, to the temple of Apollo. Should I fight this war? Should I annex this land? Now, the way this whole operation worked, in the bowels of this temple was a Pythia. This woman who sat on a tripod in this hallucinated, ecstatic state, probably high on poppies, the worshiper's question would be brought to her. She would then speak in tongues, this unintelligible language, the priests around her would then interpret it, write it up, and present the oracle to the worshiper. So you can imagine in a city like Corinth, where their patron god is Apollo, the god of wisdom and knowledge and prophecy, the god of healing, the god who predicts the future through tongues and interpretation. You can imagine what gifts were exalted and what people were exalted for having these gifts. Now, let's talk about us. We do the same thing. It might not be those gifts. Well, I don't think it is those gifts, but sometimes it is. But we exalt certain gifts. And then we exalt the people who possess those gifts. And why do we do this? Well, for the same reason that the Corinthians did it. Because our culture does it. And, and, and who is exalted in our culture today? The celebrities. 
I mean, think about what that title means. It's the people we celebrate. It's people who can perform on the big stage. And we bring this right into the church. And I think it would be very interesting to know what kind of letter would Paul write to us? What things would he have to confront in the church today? Because he has to confront this gross reality in the Corinthian church because what it's doing is it's creating division, conflict, and chaos. And it completely betrays who God is. God is this perfect harmony, this delightful unity that brings peace, shalom, shalom. And Paul has to tell them, don't you see what you have been brought into? Don't you know who lives in you? This God who's this diversity of three persons, yet we still say one God. So you, church, although you consist of many different parts and diverse expressions, you are one body. And that's where Paul steps into this metaphor of the human body. And he uses the human body because in the human body, every part absolutely matters. You and I know that. When one part of our body breaks down, it's like everything is breaking down. It could be even a hangnail on our toe. We feel it. We know it. When one part doesn't work, the body doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. When one part of the body suffers, every, every part of the body rushes to that part, giving its resources to make that part well. Paul says, likewise, we're all apart. And every single part matters. Which means a lot. If you're not doing your part, this body is going to suffer. And I'll tell you what this flies in the face of. A consumer church. Church, what can you do for me? This is, no, what are you doing for the body? Are you playing your part? Do you know your part? Or are you just a taker when we're supposed to be givers? And this flies right in the face, too, of self-sufficiency, something that we have been taught since we were young, that we have to grow up and be self-sufficient. But that is not the church because the church is the body. And when you know how a body works, every part of the body depends on the whole. It's ludicrous to think that an eye could exist without the rest of the body. We need each other. We desperately need each other. We exist for each other. We exist to serve each other. But see, even in, in all this talk about, about gifts, we, we could become very Greek. We could become very Corinthian uh, because... We could start saying, well, I don't want this gift, this gift, or this gift, but this is the gift that I want. Well, why do you want that gift and not the gift that God gave you? Probably because we're exalting certain gifts, and then you apply your selfishness to this, and we start pursuing and seeking the gifts for personal gain, for power, for glory, for likes, 
See, all of this is going on in Corinth. Everyone wanted the gifts of healing, tongues, prophecy, so that they could be seen as super Christians. Look at me. And I don't know if this is why Paul puts these gifts last on his list to the church in Corinth, but if he is doing that, it makes me wonder in the letter that Paul would write to us, what gifts would he put last on our list? I don't know if you know this, but if you keep reading, Paul even starts talking about the private parts. <laughs> Have you ever heard a preacher talk about the private parts? Well, Paul does. Because the private parts of, of our body, the parts that are hidden, um, are, are very important to the body. And Paul uses this to say, so it is with the church. The church's private parts, the hidden behind the scenes parts of the body, are of great importance to the health and vitality of the church. Let me tell you what's at stake here. We are more than just a body. We are the body. We are the body of Christ. The church is the embodiment of Jesus Christ in the world. The church is literally Christ, flesh and blood being fleshed out in the world for the world. And it takes all of us. It takes all the gifts. It takes all of us serving for us to be Christ to each other and for us to be Christ's body reflecting Christ to the world. Oh, in this, let me end with a few cautions and then I'll take questions. Let's not turn this into an obsession with finding our gift and, and cer seeking certain gifts. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to call all of us in this to just humbly serve. I didn't, even, I didn't even coordinate with Mo to sing that last song that he just sung about giving our life away. But if you want to know your gift, if you want to know the service, if you want to know the spirit appointments in your life, do nothing other than look at all the opportunity that is being presented to you right now because there is so much opportunity that is presented to the church right now and just step into it. Serve. Throw yourself into people. Give your life away. And you'll find out your gift. Second, there is a difference between gift and talent. Now, sometimes gift and talents align, and sometimes they don't. Talent is something that I develop. Gift is something that God gives and develops in me. Now, just because I have a talent doesn't necessarily mean that I have a gift to which my talent lines up to. For instance, just because I'm CEO of, of, of a large company doesn't mean I have the gift of leadership in, in the church. Or conversely, I might have the gift but yet be totally bankrupt with the talent. Trust me, I, I, I know this because personally I am not a talented public speaker. 
People that go to Crossroads from the beginning really know this. In the early days, I couldn't even do announcements. Because doing announcements requires the talent of being able to communicate. I don't have that talent. In fact, there, there would be times when, uh, after, after a service, when someone would come up to me, I, I, I heard this many times, because I would fumble and bumble through even the first part of a sermon. And they'd be like, boy, about halfway through, the Holy Spirit just took over. And I'm like, you don't think I don't know that? <laughs> <laughs> and it's because I don't have a talent, but God still gave enough of the gift of teaching. In fact, I think a lot of times he loves to do this. You, you even look throughout the Bible, like he loves to find someone with, with very little or zero talent, but give them the gift. Finally, there's a difference between gifts and fruit. None of us have all the gifts. None of us can have all the gifts. That's the wonderful thing about the gifts. The gifts require uh, that all of us be one body because within one body, hopefully we have more of the gifts as opposed to less of the gifts and maybe even all of the gifts. But with fruit... The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. All of us are to have all the fruit. And what happens so often in the church is that we mistake gifts for fruit. I have seen this especially with people who have the gift to be on the stage. I have seen some very gifted preachers who behind closed door have zero fruit. Selfish, proud, narcissistic. A person with gifts but no fruit is like a tree with no roots. Eventually the tree will blow over and collapse. And we've all seen this in ministry. Huge gifts, no fruit. This is why I want to end with this. None of us right now should be leaving, obsessing over our gift. Let's let God take care of that as we give our lives away. All of us should be obsessing, not over 1 Corinthians 12, but 1 Corinthians 13. Where Paul says, And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. And now I describe something very akin to the fruit of the Spirit. Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. God, may we be a church that is full of 1 Corinthians 13 to put you on display, the God of love the Christ of love who so loved the world.
In Jesus' name, amen. Do we have any questions? Why do the different texts have different lists? It's because the texts are letters written to specific churches that have a context, a historical context to which Paul is addressing. And like we saw today, the reason why he included certain things, and I think even put them in the order that he did, I hope the context that I, that I shared with you brought that out, and I think that's why there's a different list in Romans, that's why there's a different list in Ephesians, but we as the church have the whole Bible, uh, so we can put this all together. We have an embarrassment of riches by which we should have a means with the Spirit to know our gift. In this season, what gifts do the body and the city need most? Who needs to step up? Which gifts? How can I use my gifts at Crossroads? <laughs> I love that. It's teeing it up. I'll speak at it from, from, from the seat that I sit. I believe that we have turned the church into something that is quite weak in our world because we have reduced the church to a stage and an audience. And typically the people who know their gifts are people who are up here looking at a sea of people who oftentimes don't know their gifts. Worse than that, we have this whole thing of a sea of people, spectators, saying, these are the ministers up here when the Bible wants us to know, you to know, that we are right now a whole roomful of ministers, pastors, priests, missionaries. And the thing that is stunting the church and keeping us from our effectiveness, which is why we preach this stuff hopefully all the time, and hopefully it's getting traction in your heart, is that you are the church. And that God's spirit doesn't live in me. God's spirit doesn't live even just singularly in you. God's spirit makes his home in us. And God wants to unleash us 24-7, 365. I've heard that we shouldn't welcome or believe in the sign gifts, which are tongues, prophecy, healing, doesn't God still heal, deliver, and make the dead come to life all by his supernatural power? Um, I hope what you heard from me today um, as I try to be faithful to the text is that even though Paul had to put these gifts in their proper place, you keep reading and he, he says, I possess, I, Paul, possess the gift of tongues. He even says, seek it. The problem is, is that in a church like Corinth, these gifts became blown so out of proportion and they became almost a straw man that, that, that that's a tempting straw man to, to always believe that God's going to heal, that God is always going to give us a special word. Um, and, and you can see how that could quickly, well, all straw mans eventually collapse. And I had a guy this, literally this morning from a charismatic church um, in town here. He said he's been going there for 20 years. 
And he thanked me for the very fair treatment of all of this. And he says, you know, so many people who bought into the hype, the hype of what those gifts promise. And when the hype didn't pan out and became the straw man that collapsed, this is literally what he said, their whole identity collapsed with it. Did I answer that? I mean, did I go around it? So do we believe in healing? Absolutely. Do we believe uh, even in the gift of tongues? Uh, we believe God gives these gifts. Tongues, there, there needs to be interpretation and those kinds of things. What is Crossroads' stance on salvation equating to spiritual gifts? If we never manifest spiritual gifts, it is a sign you are not saved. I would say if you're not manifesting spiritual gifts, it's not a sign that you're not saved. See, now you're confusing gifts with fruit. It's a better sign that you're just not in the game, that you're still on the sidelines, that you're still a consumer, that you come into this trying to take as opposed to you are made in the image of God. You've been made a little less than God. He's redeemed that image in you to anoint you, to knight you, to unleash you. Not for you to just sit in a chair and be a spectator. But don't leave that question. Let's change it. What if Crossroads... What is Crossroads' stance on salvation equating to spiritual gifts if we never manifest the spiritual fruit? Is that a sign that you're not saved? Now you have Jesus' answer. By their fruit, their fruit, you will know them. We know Satan has ways to keep us from using our gifts. What are some ways that we can encourage each other to be bold in using them? Um, thank you for that question. I, I read it so fast, so I don't even know if I read it correctly, but I already have an answer to it. Um, <laughs> because this morning, um, as, as I'm exercising my gift, I sit down, and I, th- this is what's going on in my mind. Okay, Rod, I know you're a little bit passionate. Did you spank them? Did you spank them too hard? <laughs> These are the thoughts I have. And those two guys from that charismatic church who came up here and said, thank you, thank you, thank you, they took the time to encourage me, to bless me. And they didn't make it up. Why don't we bless each other? What's wrong with us? When God set in motion his whole plan to save the world, the first thing he did is he blessed. He encouraged Abraham and he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to exalt you. And through you, I'm going to bless and exalt all the families of the earth. It's so at God's heart. You ought not leave here today without blessing three people where you look at them and say, I see this, this, and this in your life. Thank you. Whoa, did I just spank you guys? (laughs) Last question. Can someone's gift change over time? Can you grow in a gift, or do gifts stay the same throughout our entire lives? I'll speak from my own life. Um, My gifts have changed. They have evolved. 
uh, things that I thought I was gifted in and maybe once was gifted in, I'm no longer gifted in. But you know what's wonderful about that? That's why you hire a Steve Ampoulin. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, and the older you get, you start to realize what you are, what you're not, and what God has given to you and what he hasn't given to you. And you feel the freedom that you don't have to be all things to all people, but that collectively we can be. And the other thing that I've realized, too, is that God has such a sense of humor in this. If, and this is where a lot of times we make the mistake of equating our gift with our talent and our talent with our gift. But I said this just a little bit earlier. The sense of humor God has is he takes someone like Moses who can't speak and says, you're going to be my mouthpiece. He takes the little person and makes them the big person. He takes the one who's totally bankrupt in, 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 in an area that God needs, and he says, you're the one. You're the one. Crossroads, let's step in the game. Let's invest our life in people. Let's give ourselves to this amazing city. Let's declare Jesus as Lord. Let's end with communion. Paul, actually, in the ch chapter previous, we're going to do this together, you guys, um, because of what Paul says to the Corinthian church, actually, in the chapter before, in chapter 11. They were getting really uh, sloppy in the way that they were taking communion. He even says some of you guys are getting drunk, and you're, you just, it, it, it's, it's all over the place. And he says, I don't want you to do it that way. He says two things. He says, I want you to examine yourself. Examine your life. And then he says, I want you to recognize the body. And I always took that as, yeah, we got to recognize Jesus. We got to recognize him. But that's not what Paul is referring to when he says recognizing the body. Paul's saying you need to recognize this body, this body of Christ. And he says, if you don't recognize it, you're going to heap judgment upon yourselves. And what does he mean by recognizing the body? He means recognizing that you're just an itty-bitty part of this huge body. He's saying that if you have any problem with any part of the body, you need to make it right. There's unforgiveness. There's something that needs to be reconciled. Because the body of Jesus is one. His body was broken. His blood was shed. So he could reconcile us to God. And we could join the oneness of the family of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we could be one. Where there's neither Greek, nor Jew, slave, nor free, we're all one in Jesus Christ.